developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Billions of people have vision problems, and vision is more than 2020. Vision Beyond Sight will help you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Your vision does not define you, you define your vision. With Dr. Lin's new way to look at your life through a new lens, you will be ready to meet yourself and receive visualizations for miracles to come. Welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Hi everyone, this is Dr. Lynn and welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Today visiting with us is my friend and colleague, Patty Andrich. Patty is truly an amazing person as you'll quickly see her power, passion, success, creativity, and influencing abilities. Today we're going to talk about the importance of primitive reflexes, which lay the foundation for vision development. But let me take just a couple minutes here and tell you a little bit about Patty, as she's lived a very impressive and adventurous life. Patty is an internationally honored occupational vision therapist and researcher and author. She is known worldwide for her success in treating children and adults with sensory and motor processing disorders. Patty received her master's degree from Ohio State University and her occupational therapy degree from the Cleveland State University. She also holds a certification in auditory processing using the listening program, which I hope we talk about a little bit later. Patty is certified in the primitive reflex integration techniques, having studied in England under the direction of Sally Goddard at the Institute of Neurological Physiological Psychology. Patty received her certification in vision therapy through the College of Optometrists in Vision Development. And she was honored just this past meeting for being the Vision Therapist of the Year by COVD. Patty also serves on several advisory boards relating to vision in the United States and in Asia. Patty's the founder of Sensory Foundations Program, a neurosensory motor program that helps adults and children integrate active primitive reflexes and gain postural stability. She specializes in improving the the lives of individuals with attention, behavioral coordination, visual, auditory, anxiety, vestibular, and emotional regulation challenges. Patty and her husband, Dr. Alex Andrich, who is an optometrist, have raised four great sons and enjoy spending a lot of time outdoors together, skiing and mountain biking. So Patty, welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Well, thank you, Lynn. It's uh, my pleasure to be here. I'm pretty excited about talking with you so we can uncover some of the uh, hidden foundations to how we learn to see. Which is great. Now, you've been working with optometrists, especially COVD, the College of Optometrists and Vision Development, for many years. And you've really been a teacher and mentor for many of us in talking about primitive reflexes. So, Explain to us, what are primitive reflexes and why are they so important? Primitive reflexes 
are our first uh, sensory motor connections that occur as we're developing. In fact, the first one uh, comes out around five to about five or so weeks of gestation. So it's really the nervous system at its very beginning forming nerves that allow our body to move and to sense the world around us. So some of these uh, reflexes, uh, you might be uh, you might be familiar with some reflexes, like we have a blink reflex, um, which causes us to close our eyes. If you hit your patellar tendon, your knee might uh, jer- you know jerk your your foot might you know lift up. So that's those are examples of reflexes. The primitive reflexes are those reflexes that occur. They they actually start when the mother is pregnant. So you know, like I said, five weeks gestation, they they begin. It's almost like writing a neurological code, like a computer program code, but you're writing code that you're genetically predisposed to having. So certain movements happen at certain periods of time. So like the first one is about five weeks gestation, and it's actually called the fear paralysis reflex. And there are other reflexes as well that that start there. But they, um, as the neurology gets formed in, in the baby, the brain is becoming more advanced and the codes are being used to help the baby, you know, kick and move their body and to feel around them. And then the baby uses those reflexes so they can be born through um, through natural birth so that the body can the baby's body can move through the birth canal. After that uh, birth process, those reflexes, the primitive ones, they will stay active for um, about the first year of life, and they're they're necessary to keep the baby alive, but they're also necessary because they're like these little seeds that grow up to be um, big plants, right? But they're, they're the seeds of uh, skills. They're the very basic, the, the most basic movement you could have grows and becomes more advanced and more refined, and it, they lay the foundation to be able to move our hands for writing, um, to move our legs for walking and running and jumping and, and you know, skiing down hills in Colorado. So those, so, are, those are the <laughs> primitive reflexes, and uh, they're there for the first year of life. So, Patty, if you can explain what happens if there is some type of problem or breakdown in that coding system and in the very, even uh, before birth, you know, what types of issues do we see with uh, the kids that are born that have problems with those primitive yeah, reflex so, and their logic coding. Yeah, so if there's like, you know, a misspelling, I guess you could say, in the code or something doesn't quite go right, then the child will um, show poor coordination skills. They might have some less life-threatening conditions like uh, difficulty breathing and so forth. Um, but if the baby is born fairly healthy and the codes just uh, were not written well, it's a learning process. So we can actually, through therapy... Uh, activate the code and teach the code how to better respond or better behave. So a lot of coordination issues, and that leads to coordination in many more ways, I think, than people realize. So most people think of, you know, somebody's clumsy, they walk into walls, you know, maybe they trip a lot. But there's also coordination of the eyes, where all the different eye muscles have to work together so that we can develop eye-teaming and fixation skills and tracking skills for reading or, um, or looking from near to far. So all of those uh, sorts of uh, sensory motor skills can be affected. And then another uh, way people don't realize is we've got muscles around the eardrum, 
And if those muscles, those very little tiny muscles, don't work well, then um, you can have poor coordination of the ear. So, and if you have poor coordination in one system, it often affects this other system. So, if you have poor coordination of the visual system, quite likely you have poor coordination of the auditory system, which can cause a uh, great dif- uh, difficulty in, uh, you know, understanding what someone says or understanding where you are in space or even even really seeing space. So, you know, if you don't see space well, you might um, have fears associated with space of being too high or um, there's something called gravitational insecurity where you don't feel grounded to the earth. So those are some of the uh, issues that you would see if um, well, the code system wasn't quite well written. Well, this is really important because I know when I see many patients um, they present not saying my coding system's off or that I have problems with primitive reflexes. They present with the vague kinds of symptoms you've talked about. I can't catch a ball or when I run, I trip on things and I stumble. And I know in my 40 plus years of experience of treating kiddos with vision and learning and, and coding problems, that when I find something visually Almost always, the next step is to look at the whole sensory motor system. So I I start and then go back a little bit. And when I find issues, I'm almost always uh, finding auditory processing issues as well, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. If we could backtrack just a little bit, what are some of the causes of how and why this coding system might, you know, have a problem and, and start coding erroneously? That's a million-dollar question and a question that many parents ask. And the answer really is too vague to really pinpoint. If there was um, if there was a traumatic birth experience, then we could say, oh, it, you know, the traumatic birth uh, caused this. Uh, but sometimes we have toxins in our environment that affect our our body as you know we you know we get pregnant. So there there could be environmental factors. There could also be just that nothing is perfect and. Um, the fact that we're, you know, born healthy, it, it's really a, a great, um, great miracle of life. It is so a miracle, that is for sure. <laughs> it, it sure is. And and sometimes we have these challenges, but no nervous system is ever perfect. So sometimes there's really just, I don't even, I don't even really look at the cause because the cause is not so important to me as I know we can mature this reflex system. I know we can advance it. And I can't tell you whether somebody ate something that wasn't good for them or if they breathed in a toxin or if um, that was just going to happen anyways because this is the way, you know, we live in a natural world. But um, so I, I don't really I don't really answer that question when parents ask it. I, I'm pretty vague about it because it, it could cause a lot of uh, parent guilt, which is unnecessary because it might have nothing to do with what parents did. It could just be... Um, our natural world that we live in, and and we're all born with some, I like to call it just, uh, you know, some little issues here and there that we have, right? We're all a little quirky at times, and if you actually trace back your quirky behavior or your quirky problem, we could probably find a root reflex that, uh, you know, that we could work on and, and mature. So, 
I don't think there are too many people that have a perfect nervous system out there as far as these primitive reflexes that fully matured as the child grew. Uh, many of us have a little retention, a little little less maturation in one reflex or another. So, um, yeah, it, and it, it's not to be concerned about. It's just something to address. Sure. And in your experience, do you find sometimes these issues run in families? Like you have a kid uh, whose coordination's not great. It's not uncommon to find some of the other kids in the family have some of the similar issues. Do you find that? Uh, I find that often. And even even going back to uh, the parents and, and thinking about this, uh, we're all uh, a little imperfect, right? And let's say I'm an adult and I don't know my left or my right. Um, as many, there, there's a lot of adults out there that haven't really learned their left and their right. That uh, can be traced down to a reflex called the tonic labyrinthine reflex. It uh, is a reflex that helps us to develop muscle tone and know where we are in space. It helps us to feel our bodies. So if that particular reflex for one or both parents wasn't matured, they're not going to know their left and right well. So they're going to be a little apprehensive and probably avoid teaching their own children left and right because they don't want to teach them the wrong thing or they may be embarrassed that they don't really know as well. So sometimes the opportunities um, are changed just because a, a parent has an issue, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's a gene, like a genetic trait. It's more or less that the, that the particular primitive reflex is never matured to the fullest. Um, so I'm a steer and you're a steer. Um, and not everybody in the, listening to the podcast is a steer, but there was a day where I never skied and I didn't know how. And, and so I had to be taught how to ski. And then once I learned how to ski, I got pretty good at it and I matured my system. I matured my skill. And you can look at primitive reflexes like that. You can tap into the reflex, which is automatic, brainstem controlled, but you can tap into it. You can make the reflex happen and then you can... Um, put some exercises, which we'll call therapy, together in a specific patterned way. And then that reflex gets matured. And then the brain, if it's a primitive reflex, says, you know what? I've gotten all I need out of this reflex code. I've now set the basis for higher level um, functions in my brain and my body. I don't need to activate this code anymore. I'll put it away in my brain and I'll reactivate it if I ever have a threat to my life, then I'll reactivate that code to keep me alive. But otherwise, I'll put it away. And so that's kind of like like what we do with seeing. We can mature the reflex like we can mature any skill that we have. So we can all get better um, at nervous system functions if we practice them. Well, that's great because I was going to ask you how these reflex codes become more advanced. And we're going to talk a little bit more about therapy after the break. But let's back up for just a second. Uh, how do you actually evaluate um, the reflexes on the kids? And, and my next question after that will be, why are so many kids, even when we see them at 8, 9, 10 and older, still showing inadequate uh, integration of primitive reflexes? Nobody's picked that up before. Uh, yeah, so uh, the first question, how do I evaluate? I personally, I do a two-hour evaluation. I can do that remotely, by the way. So I do have clients uh, internationally as well as um, in the United States and um, as well as in my home state, Ohio. Uh, but I'll do a two-hour evaluation, and I'll kind of observe how they move 
and ask them to do different um, skills such as crawling, hopping, skipping, jumping if they're capable. And if they're not, I have uh, other tests that I would do. And then I look at the reflexes and I put the individual in certain postures. So maybe on their hands and knees, for example. And then I'll turn their head just to see uh, what will, you know, what will the body do? Because a lot of these reflexes are stimulated by uh, just vestibular changes. So when you turn the head, you get a vestibular reaction. So I'll just look at that. And then there are certain things that will happen uh, if that reflex is active. And then I grade them to the severity of think of how much something happened. Let's say they bent their elbows, they turned their head to the right, and they bent their elbows and fell to the ground. That's more significant than I turned their head to the right. And they um, just they just kind of bent their arm or they didn't have any reaction. So I grade them based on what I see and to the extent I see. And the um, next question you asked, Lynn, what was that again? Well, before that next question, could you just go over a little bit what you mentioned the vestibular system? And I want to make sure our listeners understand what you're talking about when you mention the vestibular system. Well, the vestibular system is a, one of our great systems. It's one of the systems that's fully formed at birth, I believe. Um, and then it's utilized. To, I, I believe the vestibular system has a lot to do with the infant turning around to come out of the birth canal. And then once uh, out of the birth canal, uh, the vestibular system helps us to know uh, where we are in space. So it helps us to balance. Balance is one of the things that we get from our vestibular system. Um, the vestibular system is formed with the eyes and the ears and then actually the skin or the feet, uh, information coming up from the body to let us know where we are. Um, are we sitting, standing? Are we falling over? That sort of thing. And there are a lot of different reflexes associated with the vestibular system, but basically it, it helps us to remain upright, keep our head upright, um, whether our body's in motion or if we're, you know, uh, seeing something else in motion. It really helps us to orient ourselves. If our vestibular system isn't functioning well, then uh, we can have symptoms like nausea. We can have uh, brain fog, confusion. We can have the uh, feeling that we're just going to fall over all the time. So. It can be very difficult when you, you feel like you're off balance all the time. So those are some of the things that can happen if your vestibular system isn't um, well-formed. And I know we're talking more about kiddos and and uh, reflexes, but the vestibular system really comes into play where we're seeing patients with brain injury. And often these patients are referred because of all the symptoms you just talked about. They're dizzy. Um, they move their head and get motion sickness. They don't know where they are in space. And so even though we're spending a lot of time right now talking about the kiddos, um, these types of issues truly affect our adults as well, especially after some type of brain trauma uh, or injury. And we'll talk a little bit more about that after the break. Um, the other question I had for you, uh, Patty, was why aren't doctors picking up these issues? Once you know how to look for retention of primitive reflexes, it's obvious, but so often Parents are taking their kids to the pediatricians and, and other therapists, and this isn't being addressed. Can you tell us what's going on there? Yeah, doctors really aren't learning about this. Uh, most of the time, they're taught that if uh, you have these reflexes retained, you have some major neurological complications. 
such as you were born with cerebral palsy or, or something like that. But the uh, matter of fact is really that a lot of us have, you know, matured. And as we matured, our nervous system hasn't matured to its fullest extent. So uh, kids are struggling out there with attention deficit because they can't focus their mind or their body. But that is largely a result from an immature nervous system. Uh, Dyslexia, again, uh, is something that a lot of individuals are struggling with. But again, we can go back and we can look at some of these primitive reflexes and the neurological codes just aren't there to support uh, normal development. So doctors aren't really learning about it. Um, And then why are kids like growing up with so many of these kids now have these primitive reflexes? I could probably go into a classroom and and find uh, most kids have some sort of issue, especially if they're having some uh, learning issues or difficulty reading uh, or some, maybe they're a little clumsy. Most of those kids will find um, these reflexes are not matured. And and certainly the population of children with disabilities, they also... um, that's a pretty high correlation with primitive reflex retention. But a lot of these children um, that we would call in the normal population that just seem to be developing fine, but just have some issues, a lot of them never had uh, enough time doing something called tummy time, where they learned to really coordinate their neck muscles when they were lifting their heads off the floor. Or yeah, pa- they- Patty, I want you yeah. to save that thought because we're going to talk about that right after the break. Okay. Um, we'll talk about you know, why they've missed out all of this uh, important experience and what we can do about it. So we'll take just a couple minute break. We'll be right back. Dr. Lynn will be right back after this. Can your child see, really see, more than 2020? Does your child struggle in school, have trouble with tracking when reading, or resist writing? Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's award-winning book, See It, Say It, Do It, provides parents and teachers with specific tools and strategies in visualization and processing. Improve and empower your child's learning and performance in school, sports, and play. Get See It, Say It, Do It on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's book, 50 Tips to Improve Your Sports Performance, has identified the top 50 ways for you to achieve excellent results in any sport activity, enhance eye-mind-body coordination skills, achieve the mental edge, prevent injuries. This book belongs in every athlete's or coach's sports bag. Get 50 Tips to Improve Your Sports Performance on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Welcome back to Vision Beyond Sight. Here's Dr. Lynn. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. And we're talking with uh, Patty Andridge, who's an occupational therapist and vision therapist. Who She runs a neurosensory motor program in Ohio. And we were just talking the importance of primitive reflexes, what they are. Uh, and right now, we're at the point of wondering, 
why some kids have just never integrated their reflexes the way that we would expect them from a neurological developmental uh, standpoint. And Patty, you were just telling us about the importance of little babies getting appropriate posturing and movement. And so go ahead and tell us a little bit more about tummy time and some of the other things parents really should be doing and could be very useful for the uh, development with their little infants and toddlers. Yes. So it's such an important time of life where um, we are really coding the nervous system with what we are doing. Everything that we do, um, the brain is recording and, and taking in data and maturing these primitive reflex codes. So the tummy time is very important. Uh, like I was saying, the baby lifts the head up off the floor and the baby is learning to control neck muscles, which are going to be really important to stabilize the head for the visual system to, um, to really mature as well. And the eyes, um, if you imagine your head down on the floor and then you lift it up an inch or so and then back down, you're actually working on your accommodation system, learning to focus those eyes at different spaces in a near space. Um, but eventually the baby will learn to lift and coordinate the head up and out and be able to, to look out in the distance um, and then learn to focus from near to far. So uh, this tummy time is really important. Also, uh, it leads to other reflexes being used. There's an amphibian reflex that gets the hips moving, uh, getting the baby ready for crawling on their belly. Crawling on the belly is like, it's uh, probably my favorite thing to do. If you're kind of wondering if somebody has poor coordination issues, just have them crawl on their belly and see how well that crawl is. I like to see a belly crawl where the eyes leave the hands and the hands reach out in front of the body and the fingers pull the, the child forward and the eyes switch to the other hand as the other hand gets put out and then pulls. And at the very same time, you've got this right and left arm action with the eyes leading the movement. You have the legs alternating with a nice one leg um, kind of straight and the other leg is bent, and they're using their toes to push. So I, I look at this as the beginning of not only vision development, but also um, an early beginning of psychological development. Can I reach for my goals in life? Can I pull it into my life? Can I push through with my toes? Can I push through those hard times in life? Can I work with the top of my body all the way to the bottom of my body? And can I um, move right to left, left? like right arm and, and vice versa. And when we're doing these baby movements, like crawling, lifting our head, rolling, rolling uh, in a segmented, we call it segmental rolling reflex, if uh, we roll where the legs go, then the hips, and then the upper body, or vice versa, the hips, uh, the, the upper body, then the hips, and then the legs, if we can roll in that segmented way, we're learning sequencing and we're learning it in our body before we're learning it in school like spelling words or how to do math operations or what's the beginning middle end of a, a paragraph or or even giving a child a set of instructions do this and that and that and so forth we're learning sequencing all the way back when we're you know just an infant by segmental ruling um, so that's um that's how we learn to use these reflexes that's how they kind of mature and a lot of times babies are picked up because they're crying or we don't want them on the dirty floor or, or a number of reasons or uh, in-law comes in or, or dad comes in and stop that baby from crying. You know, uh, mom doesn't want to hear the baby cry. She's trying to get everything else done too. So 
sometimes we don't let the struggle happen and then we don't get the learning. You know, that's such a great explanation of why we're working on these skills. So often I'll have parents, they'll bring the kiddos in again because of a reading problem or a writing problem, or they're terrible in sports and they want us to fix the sport or fix the handwriting. And we're actually having them lay on the floor and assume certain postures. And you had mentioned how important is the eyes leading the body. You know, many athletes talk about hand-eye coordination. It's really not hand-eye. It's eye-hand coordination. And you'll see that development early in life. I love the example when the kid's in the high, like a high chair, and they're fun, you know, having fun. They're taking their food. You give them a little spoon, and they look down at the floor. They look at you, and they drop the spoon full of food. And they laugh, and they think this is the best thing in the world. And usually parents are like, oh, my gosh, you made a mess. And they clean it all up, and they give the spoon back with food. The kid does the exact same thing and laughs. And they're really learning depth perception. They're learning to judge space. Yeah. But the parents, you know, so often the behaviors are what we're addressing. Just like you said, you don't want the kiddo on the floor. It's dirty. Well, that behavior of being on the floor is much more than just getting the dirt. It, Like you mentioned, it's really integrating these higher level skills that are so important for uh, strength control, motor control, and higher level tracking, sequencing, eye-hand coordination that relates to uh, school. Uh, one of the things I'd like you, and you've alluded to this a little bit about some of the emotional and psychological issues that we see when kids don't have, for example, good coordination, you know, they're never picked to be on a team, they're outside playing and, and they're clumsy. Do you want to just address a little bit some of the emotional and psychological issues that present along with some of these real physical kinds of issues? Yeah, well, there is actually a primitive reflex uh, that is the basis of our fight and flight. Um, so that's called the moral reflex. And then the reflex earlier, I already mentioned fear paralysis. But if these two reflexes are immature, then it's very difficult to uh, emotionally regulate yourself because you just, you know, some sensory stimulant was applied. Maybe it was you were moving and you're poorly coordinating, you fell, and then all of a sudden, you, you know, the child can't handle that anymore. They feel all the peer pressure, the embarrassment, and then, you know, it's just really easy to, to start crying or getting very angry about it. So that primitive reflex, the moral reflex, if we can mature it, then and we can convince the, the brain that they no longer need to hold it. So, so maturing the reflex pattern is one thing, but we actually have to convince the brain to say, we don't need this uh, reflex around anymore. And then when we can do that, then emotional regulation issues really resolve quite nicely. Um, I, I do want to just mention how interesting this is. So I'm working with a case um, presently with an individual who uh, has lost their focusing ability, and this is a young adult person. And this young adult person, I had mentioned um, in my my therapy session with them, if um, and, and this is a brand new case, so I don't have a lot of experience with it yet, but I mentioned, you know, you probably want to be able to see again. And she lost um, her ability to see because she was too stressed out from some um, 
demands at school, uh, some visual demands. A lot of studying had to happen. And so all of a sudden, she it, it's more of a psychological thing. She just knocks out a visual system and sort of presents as a, a blind person would present. But when they asking her, I bet you want to um, kind of get this resolved. And I had tested her more. We felt it was um, extremely active. And, you know, she said to me, no, I don't really want this to resolve. Um, so she's using this um, primitive reflex, this moral reflex, fight or flight. And she's fighting right now by um, overwhelming her whole system. She cannot use her eyes normally at this point. So until we resolve this moral reflex and until we um, are able to uh, get her to convince, convince her that she's safe, and this is, this is subconscious work, um, she may hold on to that reflex, and then and then it would be very difficult to treat her visual her visual symptoms because they're not um, they're not physical. Um, they are more um, something that is more uh, psychological uh, than a than like an anatomical issue. It's more of a functional issue that she's having. So, in a very interesting case, but I think it shows how more reflex can um, can kind of interfere with the development of vision or for even an older person to have visual problems. And how old was this uh, patient, did you say, 11? Uh, no, this is a, uh, the uh, patient is a young adult, so uh, young college adult. age. Yeah, college age. So that's, that's really important because, um, again, we're talking a lot about kids in school, but these issues arise in adults, you know, mm-hmm. talk a little bit about when somebody has been in a car accident or has had surgery and ends up with some type of brain injury. Do you see some of these types of issues that weren't present before the injury, then they have the injury? Do you see some of these issues um, all of a sudden appear and interfere in lives? Yes, absolutely. So like during uh, childhood, many of these puzzles are put together and, uh, you know, the person is put together quite nicely and then they have some sort of injury and the primitive reflexes return. So if you're mature, your nervous system is mature, there's no um, concern of primitive reflexes returning unless there's some sort of uh, head injury or a psychological trauma. So some sort of trauma, which in the previous case was a psychological trauma that occurred um, that caused this. But, uh, a head injury, certainly as well. It's almost like taking that puzzle and throwing it on the floor, and now it's in a bunch of pieces again. And we have to connect the, the neurology back together. We have to rewrite that code. And the pieces of the code are there, but they're just sort of disorganized. So we have to rewrite them. And when we rewrite, um, I mentioned before, we, these are sensory and motor connections. Um, so when I rewrite the neurological code for sensory and motor connections, I'm talking about sensory, can I feel my body? Can I hear? Can I see? Can I um, have a memory? Can I have a, a thought? Can I can I do a math problem in my head? So I'm doing therapy that sets the foundation. We like to say um, sets the stage for discovery of the nervous system to really reorganize all these senses back into um, more of a synergistic kind of connection. So everything is kind of happening in unison. So if I look at a flower, I can smell a flower at the same time. Uh, if you're a head injury, you might get the sensation of smell after you get the sensation of sight or vice versa. If you uh, hear a sound but can't um, orient your eyes to it, it can be very alarming. So a lot of um, a lot of people with brain injuries, it's a, it is a real struggle uh, in life just feeling normal 
because all these different sensations are coming in at different times and the motor responses aren't happening at the exact same time that the sensory stimulus happens. So we, we want a sensory stimulus to happen in the motor response to occur. For example, if you're looking at bright light, you want the sensory system to say, hey, this light's a little bright and the motor system uh, responds by, you know, um, making the, the people, you know, dilating the people in um, bright lights and constricting the people. I got that vice versa, didn't I? Yeah. Well, what what you're really explaining is the, the integration of systems being off, out of whack. And we see within each system, for example, in the visual system, if the two eyes aren't coordinated together, you, you get blurred, double vision, uh, headaches. In the auditory system, often we'll see kids like one ear processes faster than the other. And the way it shows up is you say something to the kid like go upstairs, you know, brush your hair, put on your shoes and go, huh? You know, it looks like attention deficit yeah. disorder. So within each system, same thing, sensory motor, you can have breakdown. And then you're trying to integrate all the systems together. And that's why after brain injury, people are in fogs and people don't want to go out and shop or there's too much traffic. They cannot put all of this information together anymore. And right, the goal, and especially with, and, with vision leading. That's so important. With vision leading, correct. And so... Um, the goal is you work on each system independently and then put it back together. And that's where we see such great, great success in, in vision therapy and, and integrating with your occupational therapy as well. You know, in our last couple minutes, uh, what I'd love, Patty, is if you could share an, exp- uh, an exercise or two for our listeners that they could use to support sensory motor connections. Well, I'm going to tell you, um, actually, I'll give you a bonus. There's two. So one, um, if you have a child with some sensory issues, if you could lay them down in a blanket, and uh, a blanket that is kind of thin, and slowly wrap them up like a log roll, um, but really slow. So uh, most kids will want to go quickly at first, and you can roll them up, and then you can unroll them. But each day, go a little slower and press them into the earth, like push down on their body as they're being rolled and go really, really slow so that one minute is one turn. And when you do that over time, that really grounds the child and it helps the child feel uh, connected and know where their body is in space. So a very extreme slow uh, roll up in a blanket and roll back away is one exercise um, I highly recommend. Children love it. Um, If they don't like it at first, they grow to love it and start asking for it. The second thing I think is really important, um, Lynn, there's a lot of feedback on the phone. Can you hear that? I don't. And okay, we only well, have a couple We only have okay. a couple minutes left to go. Okay. So just okay, real, quick real quick and then I'll, I'll close it. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So the, the second exercise is to work on your deep breathing and make that nasal breathing. Breathe in through your nose and out through your nose and lengthen the amount of time you can inhale and uh, lengthen the amount of time you can exhale. So breathing really can calm down that moral reflex and help a person to be able to think about what they're doing again and just really feel grounded again. So any kind of uh, deep breathing nasal exercise is a, is a great exercise for you. Yeah, deep breathing. We could have a whole uh, podcast on breathing, which I will have later. So those are great Great thoughts. I've used the blanket on my brain injury patients that have 
we've just overwhelmed them doing some of our eye tests and we'll wrap them up in a blanket, blanket, put them in a uh, uh, dark room. And those are some great ideas. Well, Patty, we're getting close to the end of our time here. I'd love for you to share with our listeners how they can learn more about you. And, and I understand you have a, a great uh, offer for our listeners today. Well, I do. So you can contact um, me at patty at sensoryfocus.com. That's my email. And my website is thevisiondevelopmentteam.com. So you can find me there. Uh, it's actually, uh, I mean, let me say my website is, uh, if you can edit that out, is sensoryfocus.com. That's S-E-N-S-O-R-Y-F-O-C-U-S.com. That is our website. And then I do have a great offer. I'm offering a no-cost phone consultation and $45 off of a remote primitive reflex evaluation when you mention this podcast, Vision Beyond Sight. So you can call me or call my office at 440-230-0923 to request that phone consultation. Well, Patty, we'll include all that information in our show notes. And I want to thank you so much for your inspiration, your words of wisdom. It's always an honor to learn from you, to work with you. And thanks to everyone for joining us today. Remember, your vision doesn't define you. You define your vision. Expand your vision, see with clarity, and gain courage and confidence. So thanks again, Patty. We sure enjoyed having you today, and we'll say goodbye to everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs> it was great. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today on Vision Beyond Sight. Join Dr. Lynn Hellerstein each week to help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Remember, your vision does not define you. You define your vision. For more information and find additional podcasts, visit lynnhellerstein.com. See you next time on Vision Beyond Sight.